You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 45 of The Wheelhouse, and what an episode this will be, Jerry. Your Mariners are off to their best start since 1995. They're 6-1. We're recording this in advance of Tuesday night's game. Marco Gonzalez is on the mound against the Angels. Final game of the homestand. Uh, this has been amazing, what we've seen over the first week or so for the Mariners. Jerry? Uh, really a thrilling two weeks, dating back to, I mean, just a little further back than that when we left for, for Tokyo. How exciting this has been for all of us, for the team, how well we're playing. And, you know, and we're overcoming some of our, our own issues to do what we're doing. And I, this group is so fun to be around. We've said it since the start of spring training, and, and it's just as obvious today, if not more so. A reminder, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you might find your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch every single episode. Now, Jerry, it was interesting hearing Alex Cora who last year guided the Red Sox to 108 wins in a World Series championship. He talked after the Mariners took three out of four against the Sox, and he referenced the energy right away from this ball club. He praised the lineup for how deadly and for as long as it is. And you just mentioned it. We've been talking about the energy and the culture of this club since even before spring training, and it was pretty incredible to see an opposing manager who has a World Series ring two series into the season noticing the exact same things. Well, you don't have to be, uh, I guess, a professor of the game to to watch our lineup right now and realize they're really good. <laughs> I mean, they're they're hitting the ball, they're hitting the ball hard, they're stringing together great at bats. I think it's awesome that Alex picked up on on the the different ways that that we can score. You know, we can bang, we can hit it over the fence, we can we can grind, we can take our walks, we can get on base, and we can do the athlete thing and, and run the bases. And, and, and really, I mean, last night, multiple occasions with Domingo Santana, with Ryan Healy, just the first to thirds that, that we have not been able to do in the past three years that, that now we do. It's a, it's a kind of a new age for, for our lineup in that the, 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 the lineup moves not just in the batter's box but on the bases. And we've got speed, we've got power, we've got the ability to get on base. And right now, one through nine, it's clicking. And it's been so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, I hope we're able to, to continue it. We think it's a really talented lineup. And, and as Alex alluded to, it's, you know, th- these are not guys that, that are sneaking up on anybody. They're really talented and, and they're ready to do the things that, that prime years players do. We talked about it all offseason. This is fun. We heard some chatter from some of the players started to kind of surface during spring training, this idea of there aren't great expectations for the Mariners outside of the city, right? A lot of, basically everyone, not a lot of people, everyone is not looking at the Mariners as a playoff contender. And we started to hear guys kind of chirp a little bit and say, hey, listen, that might be other people's perception, but it's not ours. Marco has been the latest one to say, you've got guys with a chip on their shoulder now. We are, the Mariners are hearing what's being said And we want to prove people wrong. It's interesting, and not surprising maybe, but it's interesting to see that mentality already surfacing in terms of what we're seeing on the field. Well, there's there's something about playing with a chip on your shoulder, about being the underdog, or or overcoming negative expectations. And you know, we talked all year. We the, we have talked about what we're doing now and in, in, in with our roster as anything from a reimagination to a step back to, and oftentimes, and maybe I'm just 
poor in, in communicating thoughts or, or plans. There's when we talk about a step back, we're not talking about a step back from winning. We're we're talking about a step back so we can see more of the picture. And you know, I, I guess use the old adage: you, sometimes you lose sight of the forest through the trees. We wanted to step back from the the, the forest enough to be able to see the trees. And, you know, we have talked very much about the fact that we didn't think that we were setting ourselves up to be this titanic or colossal failure. We didn't think we were a hundred loss team. And we also didn't think we were a hundred win team. And it's also, I don't think a week has changed our minds that we're probably not a hundred win team and we're not a hundred loss team. We're playing really good baseball with a really talented group of players who do have something to prove and, and they're playing like it. They're playing with an energetic edge that is very fun to watch. And we talked about the many reasons you'd want to come watch the Mariners is that we are athletic. We are exciting. You are going to see things you haven't seen every night. <laughs> Some of them are really interesting. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think uh, the, the idea is that we want we wanted to put an exciting team out there that could grow and, and that we could start to build a foundation for future success and and you know I'd like to believe that that success is coming sooner than we would have planned with guys like Mitch and Domingo and, and Marco and Yusei Kikuchi and as so many contributions Tim Beckham and Malik Smith and what we're getting out of our veteran players Jay Bruce Edwin Encarnacion stand out the productivity with our two catchers you know, now with Tom Murphy and Omar Narvaez it's fun to watch what they're doing and and everybody is contributing, which is a blast. Congratulations to Tim Beckham, who was just recently named American League Player of the Week. Edgar was at the ballpark yesterday in full uniform. He was right behind That's the, the only cage. way Edgar rolls. That's yeah. right. And Mike had a chance to visit with Edgar like he so often does when Edgar is around. And they were watching Beckham's BP, and Edgar was one of the first to say, man, the ball just really is jumping off of his bat. And Mike and I had a conversation on the air but what exactly is it that makes that happen, right? Because you think of a guy like Nelson Cruz, and I mean, you expect that from Nelson. Well, he looks like a mountain. Just because yeah. of it, just the eye test. But for Beckham, he's not—he's a well-built guy, but he's not a big person. Uh, but is it bat speed? Is it just the ability to find the barrel? What is it in your mind that has led to this great early success for Tim? I think you hit on it with your second. The, the, it's the ability to find the barrel. And, you know, Tim Tim was 1-1. He was the first pick in the draft in 2008 as a high school senior. And, you know, we always had these kind of standout tools. And, and when he makes contact and he barrels the ball up, it's pretty loud. And, and it's been like that since he was 17, 18 years old. And you know, he, he has had through the course of of his career, sometimes I guess trials and tribulations are up and down, ups and downs in terms of consistency in finding the barrel of the bat. But 2017, Tim Beckham was roughly awesome uh, as playing in a most everyday role between Tampa and then with Baltimore. And then last year when he came back from what was a litany of injury, uh, granted he did not get to play any part of last season healthy, but at the tail end when he was playing as healthy as he was all season, he was pretty good again. And you know, we, we took the body of work rather than focusing on what he was doing when he was hurt, and we counted on that guy showing up. 
And we knew that he would come out and just start hitting rockets from pole to pole and be the American League's player of the week <laughs> in the first seven games of the season. But you know, but credit to Beck. He, he comes out and he works hard. I think he has been in a remarkably consistent place since the first pitch on opening day against the A's. And, you know, and he did this without really lighting it up in spring training. Uh, spring training was just okay. And, and once the bell rang, he has been truly a, a, a dynamic multi-performance player. He's, he, I think he's played very good defense as well. That's something we really need. Nobody has more on their plate than the catcher. And Omar Narvaez, who's not a home run hitter, right? had, I think fewer than 10 last year with the White Sox, already has two in a Mariners uniform. He has been a steady on-base presence, just like his baseball reference page says that he should be. What have you made of him offensively, but also as he's learning the staff? And we know he's been very eager to work on his mechanics defensively as well. Is he, I, I love how Omar works. You know, he really cares. He wants to get better. He knows he's not a finished product, especially behind the plate. And right now he's in the batter's box. He's confident, which strikes me as his thing. He, he understands putting together in a bat. And, you know, we're seeing a swing that really connects with our ballpark. I, I think the, the way T-Mobile Park sets up does – match with, with Omar Narvaez's swing. He's not a, he's not, I, I wouldn't call him a fly ball hitter, but to the pull side, he has the ability to kind of hit that two iron shot and, and our, our right field, I guess, stands are, are maybe a little bit more inviting to a left-hand hitter than the, the left Seager field. The Seager seats. Yes. Well, well if, if that's the way we want to reference them, we can call them the Seager seats. Uh, they, you know, Omar really has done well with that and it's uh he does use the field to hit I think his barrel contact has been outstanding Uh, another guy who did not have a standout spring training but and didn't have a great trip through Tokyo but since we landed back on U.S. soil he has been raking and virtually every at bat has been focused and, and detailed he runs deep at bats sees a lot of pitches and he's shown real pull side power. He's hit a couple of balls to, to left center and right center where he just he's getting on these balls. And very similar to, to Tim Beckham, he is just barreling up a lot of good pitches right now. And, and that's making that second third of our lineup really imposing. You, you kind of alluded to it. We have to talk about just the discipline of these Mariners hitters because we know last year it was a tale of two different seasons, obviously, for the Mariners. The back half of the season, this was not a team that got on base and as a result, probably chased far more than Scott Service would have liked to see. I was looking at the numbers going into yesterday's day, game on fan graphs. Now, I'm the first to say, listen, small sample size, right? I mean, oh, some sure. teams at that point had played three games. So let's just take that for what it is. But the Mariners are doing exactly what you would hope in a perfect world they would be doing. Jerry, there's only one team entering the Angel series that chased outside of the strike zone with less frequency than the Mariners, and that was the Atlanta Braves. It's amazing early on this season how quickly that has reversed from the back half of last season. I think there are multiple reasons for that, and one would be the obvious, which is it's a credit to our players. We had a lineup in 2018 that, while gifted and and capable of of really piling on fun offense in, in spurts, wasn't designed or filled with with players who had natural grind on base skills in their game. Part of what we did in this in this rebuild or restructure with our roster is we went out and we found players who do that. That's what Malik Smith does. That's what Omar Narvaez does. That's what Domingo Santana does. That's what Edwin Encarnacion and Jay Bruce do. If you go look at their career track records, that's what they do. 
and there's so many of them. That's what Mitch Haniger naturally does. We've got seven of those guys in our lineup now, and I think what you're seeing is that, to a degree, it's rubbing off on Ryan Healy and, to, a, to an extent, on D Gordon. D is seeing more pitches. It's not manifesting itself in walks, but he's seeing more pitches, and he's putting himself in better hitters' counts. Ryan Healy's at-bats have been phenomenal. Really, from the, from the, the time the bell rang over in Tokyo, his at-bats have been a very different version of Ryan Healy than anything maybe we've seen in his career. His, he's not chasing out of zone with the same propensity that he always has. He is really squaring up the ball in his damage zone. And I, I think that you could see in his first seven hits of the season were all for extra bases. And none of them was, you know, well-placed, let's say. He was hitting rockets all over the ballpark. And, you know, the, the other, with the, the exception of the, the, talent, the natural talent and skill sets of the players, is that credit to Tim Laker and to Dustin Lind and to Jarrett DeHart and to Hugh Quattlebaum for what they did in setting up a hitting program from the moment we ended the 2018 season. You know, Hugh and JD and Dustin Lind were, were incredibly detailed from our minor league players to the HP camp to what we did in spring training this year and setting up our routines. And we found a fantastic fit for us with Tim Laker as our hitting coach in that he believes in the things that we hold valuable and he has a great feel for how to connect with the players. And and I think that's gone really well. Lastly, I think maybe the most important is the input that our players are getting. We have incredible advanced scouting information. We do provide a lot of detail. And right now, between Mitch Haniger and Jay Bruce and uh, as, as kind of the driving force in making sure that we are clearly digesting that information and developing a, a game plan and sticking to it, I have to give the players great kudos for, for kind of holding each other accountable to what the plan is on a given day, which has not always been our strength as a, as a group. This team is extraordinary at that, and that is to the credit of our players. They, they care about one another, and they care about what we're trying to get done on a given night. Even just parachuting into spring training, you could see it very quickly, what was going on. I mean, normally when people talk about, for example, live batting practice, a lot of times when reporters talk about it or teams talking about it, they're saying, hey, you know, just trying to get a look at live pitching, just getting their timing down, just getting a look. You know, it's not really that real. Uh, at Mariners Live BP, it was a little bit different. I mean, guys are being graded on swing decisions, whether or not they're swinging in the zone at strikes or swinging out of the zone at balls. So it's part of its roster construction on your part, Jerry, and part of it's a little bit of coaching. But the second thing, just for a little bit of anecdotal no- reference on numbers, again, small sample size being what it is, uh, Tim Beckham swung at 32% of the pitches outside the zone last year. This year, 22 Ryan Healy swung at 36% of pitches outside of the zone last year. This year, 26. And in like this is mind-blowing. D. Gordon swung at 40% of pitches outside the strike zone last year. This year, 19%. It's so phenomenal. it's early, small sample size, but pretty remarkable. And it has a chance, really, to, to manifest itself. And what, while I would not anticipate us scoring eight runs a game for the oh, entire come on, Jerry. season, I had, heartbreaking as that must be, <laughs> uh, I don't imagine that we'll score eight runs a night. But we do have a chance to be a sustainably good offense with this as our, our format, which is it's what we always claimed to want to be about. And at some point, we had to make some personnel change to, to get to that point. And right now, even even the guys that we have on our bench, and I, I guess no more 
I, I, evident than when we watched Daniel Vogelbach's at-bats on Sunday versus Rick Porcello. He had outstanding at-bats. It, it didn't manifest itself in a hit, but he drew a couple of critical walks. He extended innings. And more importantly, we have been able to drive these starting pitchers out of games early and really get to the middle of the bullpen. Jerry, you mentioned Jay Bruce. Of course, he's homered, as we record this, in three consecutive games. I was so happy to see this success for Jay because this is guy. This is a guy who was the guy at one point, right? I mean, two years ago, he was tremendous. An all-star, a silver slugger. He's going to hit 300 home runs in his career. He's very short, very close to that number right now. But there can always be this perception of Jay Bruce comes over and has this kind of fatherly role to younger players in the clubhouse and maybe isn't relied upon much for his production as he is for his presence. But man, he's got both going for him right now, which is really great to see. He's raking. And, you know, even before the bat really came to life over these last four or five days, there's, I think, maybe three or four games into the season, he was he was rolling out the 060 batting average and, and the at-bats were really good and, and he was making barrel contact and you know the to see that the results are starting to come from for him is just a it really defends the process because his process has been good since the very first day of spring training uh, and and I will say that while it's great to have the three straight days of homers the good at bats in the middle of the lineup etc the presence that he brings is still hugely valuable to us to, to have a guy who's that grounded with that kind of career in his back pocket between he and Edwin Encarnacion, these are two of the top home run hitters of the last decade. And, you know, Jay Bruce really won from the moment he stepped on a high school baseball field. is one of the most celebrated players in any uh, domain he's been in. High school baseball, minor league prospects, young big leaguers. He was a multiple-time all-star before he was 25 years old. It's, it, he's had a wonderful career. And we talk about him like he's this grandfatherly figure. He's 31 years old and, <laughs> and, uh, and still has a lot of baseball to, to give. And, and you're seeing it. The ball he hit last night was crushed. And, you know, when he is going and he's in a good mode, you've, you see Jay in a lot of 2-0 and and 2-1 and and 3-1 and counts. His swing decisions, which is part of what made him so appealing to us, first as a potential free agent sign a couple of years ago and then as part of the trade that, that brought him back from New York, is just how good he is at making swing decisions. Because, you know, thoughtfully would like to believe that if you're trying to implement a program, the best way you can teach it is, is by watching people who do it well. And, and Jay does it naturally well. We'll talk about the defense in a few minutes. Kind of along those lines, Jerry, one of the things that has been so impressive to me is the fact that Ryan Healy, who's being asked to do something that he hasn't done in, in a long time, play third base, of course, he spent all offseason trying to perfect first base, and then Seager goes down late in spring, and now he's got to really pivot on the fly. But for him to go through as much as he is doing defensively, for him to be on as torrid of an offensive start and to be able to compartmentalize like he has been, because let's face it, if you open up the season two for 22, what would the narrative be? Well, he's trying to process this semi-new position for him. He's got a lot on his plate, but he's been just raking while trying to get his feet set at third base. It, and it is very much appreciated. I think Ryan, through spring training, Ryan had some ups and downs. You know, it, it, it wasn't 
at all confusing. When Kyle Seeger was healthy and playing third base, it was going to be a scrap to find a way to get Ryan, to get Daniel Vogelbach, Edwin Encarnacion, and Jay Bruce at bats. And, you know, what I've learned about the game is most of the time, the game or, or, or just luck of the draw takes care of a lot of your questions for you. Fortunately, we had a guy that was versatile enough and experienced enough in, in Ryan Healy to be able to slide him to third base and take advantage of the extra bat. And as I said, it's it's been a week, but it's the best offensive version we've seen of Ryan Healy. There's also something to be said for, you know, while he has a lot to think about uh, at third base and, and to work on, and I don't know if this is right, wrong, or indifferent, but if you look at Ryan's career splits and, and see what Ryan has done offensively when he's playing DH, when he's playing first base, or when he's playing third base, it is remarkable. I, roughly when he plays third base, he's Josh Donaldson <laughs> offensively. It's phenomenal how good an offensive player he's been when he's playing third base. And when he's playing first or DH, it's nowhere near that level of productivity. And I, I don't know, it's, it's, while it's certainly been a challenge for him defensively to make the transition, I, maybe the not thinking so much about every at-bat is helping him focus on, on what the simple – tenants are when he gets in the batter's box that I know he's worked dating back over this offseason he has worked really hard and he has worked with Tim Laker to to get to the point he is and you know Ryan Ryan's a thoughtful guy he really really cares and and he puts a lot of pressure on himself maybe more so than any other player I've ever encountered so perhaps that the distraction of playing third base is just helping him you know really sink his teeth into his season offensively. That's a really interesting theory, and I didn't—I was not aware of those splits. But it does kind of just go to show you that baseball, more than maybe any other game, I mean, there's some things you just can't explain, right? Although I like that theory. That does make some sense. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a semi-professional theory maker. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the defense a little bit because it is amazing you take one guy out of the equation and the trickle-down, right? It's kind of like when you lose your closer, now everybody has to get – put out of alignment in a bullpen. Well, the same is true when you take, I suppose, now a gold glover away from third base. The goal, I imagine, Jerry, you're not hoping to see Ryan Healy be a gold glover in Seager's absence. You just want him to make the routine plays. You want all the guys just to make the routine plays. That's right. And and I think for the most part, you know, we our expectations are just that. And we, we're right now asking multiple people to play out of their, their natural position which frankly has been fairly commonplace for us over the course of the last three or four baseball months, really dating back to last May when we started having to jockey people around the field and, and play them out of position, including D when we asked them to play center. But the, some of it is self-inflicted and some of it is, is asking guys to do things to fill in for injured players and all hands on deck. But you know, we're just looking for, for the basics, for them to be able to handle the, the routine. Obviously, you know, whether it was a, an unusual inning on, on Saturday night at third base or just the, the overall seasonal look. You know, we've already made a half a dozen errors at third base. And, and uh, that is dating back to, I don't know, Sunday before last when we were at FanFest. And we were sitting talking with the group of fans in a Q&A out on the, the field. One of the things I alluded to immediately was, you know, it, it, while you can't look at Kyle Seeger's offensive performance in 2018 and say that was on par with Kyle Seeger. You know, it was clearly a down year for him with the bat. 
But Kyle Seeger shows up, he plays every day, and the defense is generally very steady, to at times exceptional. And we knew the moment that he went down in, in Peoria that we were going to be short. You don't have an extra gold glove third baseman hanging around. And and we certainly didn't. And obviously Ryan is going over there and doing yeoman's work and, and trying to pick up the pieces. And Dylan Moore, of all the positions that he's played, third base is not one of the more experienced positions. Primary, primary experience has been as a shortstop. And when he shifts, he generally shifts to second base or first base. Third base has not been the, the position he's had the most experience. But right now it's the one we need him. To, to be better at and you know it, I thought he was tremendous in the spring he was he was really good there's a reason why we were using him as a an in-game uh, I guess sub in part of that was because we think Ryan Healy has become a very good defensive first baseman therefore we're able to balance our offense and you know we we ran into a really unusual situation last Saturday night that was unfortunate for for Dylan and for for others but if you play long enough, you've been in that situation, and you really, really sympathize with, with the guy. And, and I was so happy that he got out there last night and that they hit the ball to him, you know, because that's, it just gets it off your mind, and now you can just go back to being who you are. I am curious, do you consider Jay Bruce being out of position at first To base? a degree. You know, yeah. his, his experience. Now, Jay played first base in high school. Uh, signed as a center fielder, but had experience, believe it or not, made his major league debut as a center fielder. Uh, and and played some first base in high school. And when we acquired him via trade, he understood what we were trying to do. And we talked about our roster. And, and he asked me, should I get my first base glove out? And I said, absolutely. I think we're going to need that. And, you know, he's done it. Again, Yeoman's work, he's really worked hard at it. I would say most of his reps defensively from the very start of spring training have been at first base. And Jay's actions at first base are great. Some of what winds up being – and his hands are very good. Some of what winds up being a challenge for Jay are the nuance plays, you know, the field plays when should you stay anchored to first base or should you go range to, to, to your right to grab that ball? Should you it, – it's a lot of the should you. Should you come and get the soft tap, you know, ball in the front or is that a ball you let the pitcher field and just stay anchored? And the more reps he gets at first base, the better he'll be at that. I think he's done a really good job in on short order picking the ball, the, the simple things. He's got very smooth, athletic look to him and, and how he does it. But there's a lot of the simple nuances that other guys have gained through thousands of innings of defensive reps that Jay just has. He's, he's been out in the outfield all that time. Felix made his 2019 debut last night, game one of the series against the Angels, Jerry. And had it not been for some errors behind him, I mean, it's safe to say he would have gone six innings, would have had a quality start. What did you make of Felix's first time out there? You know, I thought that was the best we'd seen Felix in probably close to a year. It, it was uh, it was so refreshing to watch him attack the strike zone. I thought he did a great job of effectively pitching in, which we don't usually see from from Felix. I thought it was especially the first fifty or sixty pitches. His ball was crisp. You know, his changeup looked really good and maybe better than it has since midsummer last year. And I thought he was effective in how he used his curveball and didn't overuse it, which uh, I know we have talked about the idea of Felix using more curveballs. And his judgment yesterday I thought was spot on in, in how he introduced it and how he used it. 
And a lot of Felix's spring or, I, I guess, the season in front of him is going to be experimenting with things that are going to work as he moves forward and grows. And just like we're trying to grow forward as a team, I know Felix is the veteran of this group. He's the the iconic name in the franchise, etc. But this is very much a chance for Felix to grow too. And I thought through our five-man rotation, I think Marco has really battled two outings against really good lineups and done a very good job at giving us an opportunity to win those games, which we did. Uh, I thought Wade LeBlanc's outing on Sunday was like yeoman's work. Similarly, we, we could have really helped him out with a couple of key double plays that make his line look a lot better than it did in the end. Mike Leak was fabulous. One of the better Mike Leak outings that we've seen since we've had him. And Mike has had some really good outings here. And we couldn't have asked for too much more than our rotations given us this first time through. And, and I, I think we've seen steady progress from each of them. And, and don't short sell the, the two outings from Yusei Kikuchi, who I thought was, you know, did a remarkable job of staying composed in Japan uh, under really, I guess, a, a fair amount of duress, truly, making your major league debut in your home country with everybody watching in that moment while under the weather. Uh, probably not the greatest thing in the world, but he, he really battled through, and, and I thought he was, was as good as anybody in navigating through that Red Sox lineup, which I, I know they've not gotten off to a great start in their first five games, but I, that lineup is one of the most dangerous lineups in baseball. There's no question about it, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to manage it. All right, Mr. Baseball Historian. Okay. This is not Stump JD yet, don't worry. Oh, whew. But that's coming. When's the last time that you've ever seen two different players pick up their first career save in back-to-back days? And we had Chase and Bradford on Sunday. We had Ronis Elias last night in game one against the Angels. Uh, that's kind of unique. But I don't know how many times I've seen a team six and one through seven games with, I mean, if I count them, Nick Rumbelow, Jason Bradford, Ruanis Elias. I think it was Nick Rumbelow's first save as well. You're right, yes. Ruanis Elias and Hunter Strickland with a pair. We've got four different <laughs> four different players with saves in six wins, which is phenomenal. I wish one of them was a three inning save. That's the only thing that would make this just the greatest wrinkle. That's an eventual that's an eventuality. I would say that maybe the highlight for me last night and the, the we've had so many different guys contributing at the tail end of these games and and really pulling a bullpen together with however the lineup on the other side stacks up in that moment. We have no idea who's going to throw the ninth inning on most nights. And, you know, when Strick went down, this guy was really good in the spring. He was excellent in his first two outings against Oakland. Could not have been more excited about where his arrow was pointed or the way he was trending. And for him to to go down with the lat for what might be three months is is really disappointing because it was such a, a nice anchor for that bullpen. And, you know, we're one lat pull away from being 7-0, which is uh, pretty remarkable. But those guys have done an awesome job. One of the more entertaining parts of last night's Ruanis Elias, Steve, is, is Roe went out there, and he, he's been awesome too. He got cashed for a couple of runs in Tokyo, leaving a, a pair of runners on base, but has been truly as good as anybody in our group from spring training forward throwing the ball in the mid-90s. He's aggressive. He's really using his changeup well. Recorded the final out in his first major league save last night, and with with the feel of a surgeon, Malik Smith 
caught the ball, turned around, and threw it into the center field seats. <laughs> so I thought, ah, we'll just pretend we have his, his first save ball as a, as a memento. But uh, it's happening uh, on a nightly basis. Everybody's doing something for the first time. So, you know, who, who's next? I'm just waiting for Elias to pump 96, 96, 96, and then arc that curveball in there and have a batter's legs just about give out as it curls up there. His stuff's been great, and you know, his he seems to really. He's such a resilient guy. He may have of all of our pitchers. You know, we got thirteen guys on the staff now. He might be the most resilient. You know, with the, like old time baseball, you'd call rubber armed. I, I feel like Rowanis can go out there and throw every day and you know, pick it up mid nineties. His stuff has really ticked up since he moved to the bullpen, and not just his fastball velocity, which is up you know, three miles an hour as, as a bullpen guy, but all of his pitches. His changeup has more action. His curveball is, is sharper, more of a violent break, and his strike throwing is, is considerably more confident. He is really getting after the strike zone, and I, and I think he likes the role of just I, – I've often described the difference between – and I say this as a reliever, so you know, or at one time a reliever uh, – that the difference between starters and relievers is that starters breathe through their nose and relievers breathe through their mouths. I, I think, you know, Roe is enjoying being a mouth breather for a little while and just just letting it hang out. Hey, good news for your ball club. Speaking of the bullpen, Anthony Swarzak activated today. Uh, he's available in the bullpen for Scott's service. Uh, we don't know much at all about Anthony other than what we might read in a press release or in a media guide. Uh, tell us his the benefits of having him in the bullpen starting tonight for the Mariners? Mostly, I would say the, the, the biggest benefit is the stability that his experience brings because right now we don't have a ton of that down there. That will make the staff feel better. Uh, a close second is he's got a really good slider. <laughs> and, you know, Anthony Swarzak, really from, from the time, a former first-rounder uh, as a high schooler, has had a, a pretty good run. As a, as a major leaguer, Minnesota Twins, Chicago White Sox, spent some time with the crew, uh, and then with the Mets. In 2017, he was one of the handful of, of, of best relievers in the league and uh, seemed to have really uh, found that command, that fine command that was going to take him from being an interesting stuff guy who had strikeouts in his game to a, a different level in terms of late-inning reliever. And uh, unfortunately, last year he was hurt for most of the year. And uh, we're excited to roll him out there. I'm glad he's back. I really like the edge that Anthony brings to the staff. And, and he brings that kind of veteran, been there know-how. He, he also seems to have the effective bench jockey in him. So maybe we want to station him in the, in the dugout for a little while to keep, everybody, to keep everybody on their toes for a bit. And speaking to his stuff, I mean, he ran the exact same K per nine in 2017 and 2018. And it's just a matter of limited walks, limiting home runs, but 10.59 per nine, both 2017 and 2018. You made a deal yesterday, Jerry. Uh, Connor Sadzik is now a member of the Mariners organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Connor? Connor is huge. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's, we're done. Connor is uh, six foot seven. He's a he's a big, strong guy who I think, uh, as we go out on this road trip for the start of his Mariners career, is probably the most excited guy on our team because he's he gets a a new chance in a new environment with a, a group that I think has some ideas for how we might be able to help him. But it happens to be a, a Chicago area kid who's going home and. and 
uh, in this first week as a Mariner. But uh, six foot seven, the fastball will tip 100 miles an hour fairly routinely. It sits in that 96, 97 zone. We saw him last September with the Rangers, and and while I would not call the command of his pitches precision, uh, that's not naturally the strength of his game. He has incredible fastball velocity. He has fastball spin. Uh, as importantly, he has a really high spin on his on his breaking ball. And we feel like the combination of raw stuff, physical size, the fact that he's 27 years old, and maybe just needs a different voice. You know, and this is not a slam toward any of the other 29 organizations. But we sometimes when you change a dress, you find a voice or you find a suggestion that tips the scale in your favor that you may never have gotten to with the previous club because they, they see a different version of you. The version of Connor Sadzik that the Mariners see is what we've seen through a scouting lens, what we've seen through an analytic lens, and as a competitor on the other side, side in a really small sample. So between Paul Davis and Jim Brower and Brian DeLunis and Joe Boringer and Jesse Smith, Joel Furman, our analytics crew, there has been more discussion of Connor Sadzik over the last five or six days predating our putting the deal together for him and now up to and including he will hopefully show up tomorrow and be ready to throw a bullpen in the morning before we hop on a plane. The, the idea is to, to, to make a couple of subtle adjustments that we think will really help them and take advantage of some of that big stuff. Updates, guys like Sean Armstrong and uh, Orson Batista, anything new there on those two guys' fronts? You know, and as, as Sean, to, to address the first first, Sean is doing very well with his rehab where he's going out. He's going to throw a live BP session today, I believe. Uh, he's going to throw another in, in Tacoma, and then he starts uh, his rehab assignment with Tacoma almost immediately as they start their season in Sacramento on Thursday night. And Sean, right now, fingers crossed, if everything goes well, we expect to see him somewhere around the 10th or 12th of, of April. So as we get back from this road trip, we, we should come back with Sean Armstrong ready to rejoin. Um, Gerson Bautista was making great progress. I would say now it's more, uh, let's call it plateaued for a bit. He needed a little bit of a break. It, his, his is an injury that is unusual in that it shows up on, on an imaging. You know, when we do an MRI, you can clearly see the tear, but he was testing strong, so to speak. So we were treating the patient rather than the picture. And, you know, Gerson finally let us know that as he got to this last stage in his throwing program that he might need a day. So, you know, we backed off, and the smart thing to do, he's, he's 23, and we see him as a, as a part of what we're trying to build forward with, and we don't want to rush him. If, if it takes a month, if it takes two, whatever we need to do to make sure when he gets back he's 100% and, and ready to contribute, that's what we'll do. I don't want to overlook uh, another healthy member of your bullpen, Brandon Brennan has been awesome. He's a real guy. I mean, this is a rule five. And a mouth breather. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is the changeup is deadly. Filthy. And he's got really good velocity as well on the fastball. And really good movement. You know, Brandon Brennan, and you watch, sometimes you can tell how good a guy's stuff is when you look at the opposing hitters in the other dugout. And it's a, when he comes out, even when he's throwing his eight warm-up pitches, and then when he's facing the first hitter, you see the better hitters, they're all looking at each other. And they're making hand signals, and they're talking about how the ball's moving, and then they're going over and they're visiting with the, whoever holds the book, you know, quote-unquote. Everybody's got the book on the, the opposing players. 
And I can't imagine that the, the great hitters in this league are coming to the ballpark every day saying, I wonder what Brennan's got. But once they see him throw, they're like, oh, my gosh, what is this guy featuring? And then they're running to the guy with the book because that's probably the part of the exercise during the advanced meeting where they went and got a sandwich or something. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Brennan, Brennan has been notable. He's operating in the mid-90s. He's got a nasty changeup. He's got serious run and bore on his fastball. It's just a, it chases a right-handed hitter, so to speak, where you just can't get the ball off of you. It seems a very uncomfortable at bat. I, I will say this. I don't know how many times that we will see this moving forward. I know how many times I've seen it in my life to date. You don't strike out Andrelton Simmons twice in a game very often. And, uh, you know, the fact that we were able to do it last night and it was it was on pitches down under the strike zone, chase pitches, so to speak, very unlike Simmons. And, and I think that is more a tribute to really how live Felix's ball was yesterday at the start of the game and how nasty Brennan's stuff is. But, you know, he has been, I, I said to, to Scott and the staff last night, it's we, when you make a rule five pick, your, your goal is to figure out ways to kind of to, to find him a soft landing and, and let him start his career in, in a way that that effectively allows you to enter traffic from the slow lane and make your way over to the left. And Brandon's a little bit older. You know, he's, he's a guy who's been around in the minor leagues a little bit. We didn't allow him to really enter traffic from the slow lane. We just threw him in the left-hand lane and, and on the Autobahn, where, where it was going pretty hard and heavy, and he's done a remarkable job. I love the fact that he's throwing strikes. He's been aggressive, and I, he is some kind of fun because he is one of the more, I think, adrenaline-driven pitchers we have, which is uh, it's always good to have one or two of those guys on your staff because they, they get everybody else up. He's a great guy. Oddly, this doesn't happen, but I was just down in the clubhouse to spoke to him really briefly about that debut, and he said, I mean, this is his major league debut. It's, I think it was extra innings in the Tokyo Dome, trying to keep his team in a ball game, runner on third, less than two outs, manages to pull it off. And he said, yeah, he walked off the mound with a lot of emotion, let out some words that aren't really repeatable, and he was very fired up. Very unique debut. <laughs> Including yelling at the when he came off the field, those words that shall not be repeated were – in a dome that when the inning ended in Tokyo Dome, it was roughly, you could hear a pin drop. And it was, it, it, all right, the action stopped. There was a huge play in the, in the game in that moment. And as soon as the, the inning ended, it was quiet as can be. And to paint the picture, our owners and our traveling group were all sitting in the first three rows right in back of home plate. And you could see it percolating and, and Brandon he was walking over the, the the white line coming off the field and his arms started shaking and, and the and the glove and the fist came up and you could tell something was about to blow and then and then he roughly screamed right at our owners who might have been you know within 10 feet of him in a super quiet Tokyo Dome and I don't think they they could hear him in the upper decks but it was not far off of that it was awesome <laughs> Jerry I am so excited for Stump JD. Oh my god. Because you have no chance. Jerry, you have no chance. Okay. This is such a niche question. <laughs> this is straight up your ass. It's just amazing. And I, I take I take zero credit for this. Is this the maestro? Did he put you up to this? It is not. Okay. Uh, Luke Arkins, who's a really interesting Mariners Twitter follow, uh, very numbers heavy, really interesting stuff. Uh, Luke spotted this on a telecast of a team, which I won't say because it might reveal uh, the answer. And then uh, Long Live the King on Twitter uh, tagged me on it to say, this would be great for 
Aaron for Stump JD. And I read it and I said, absolutely. So here's the question. There are two players who were the designated hitter in all 162 games of a season. In history? In history. Give me, give me one. Give me both. Give me anything you got, Jerry. 162 games, the DH. Edgar Martinez. No. No? How can this not have a Seattle twist? There's no Seattle twist at all. You're full of it. There's uh, not. There's no Seattle twist. All right. Two designated hitters yeah. that played in every – that were the designated hitter the in designated every hitter game. In every game. Uh, oh, so great. I just love, love this question. Because, you know, I just – I feel bad for you, Jerry, because there's, there's so many names, years. It's, I mean, the, the twist there is 162 games because not very many players play 162 games. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to explain this to you. Um, Interestingly enough, Edgar never played in more than 155 games in a season. That's phenomenal. Just for a, you know, further information. You said there Would, was no Mariners twist to this? Well, there's a slight Mariners twist. There's a slight Mariners twist. There is a Mariners oh, you're Now you're just messing with me. All right. DH, all 162 games. There is a Mariners twist. There is twist. a Mariners twist. Uh, I was trying to get you off the Senate first, but there's a Mariners twist. i got to have a little fun with you. Because, you know, here's what happens, Jerry, just for your own information. When you get one right, oh, it burns. It just really burns, you know. So you know. I mean, it's like I'm going to throw one right at, the, right at your ribs the next week, okay? So that's what this is. All 162 games. I, I've, got, I've got nothing. You, I know. I'm, this I'm is rattled. so good. This I'm is rattled. so good. Let me take you back to 1978 with the Tigers. Rusty, Rusty Staub. Yep. Who, who was a, a childhood hero? Oh, I figure, you know, I, LeGrand Orange. Uh, the Mariners twist, by the way, Willie Horton. Oh. The next year. Hit his 300th home run with the Mariners. I'm not sure if it was that year, but he did hit it with And the a wonderful human being. Oh, my gosh, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, great guy. Uh, yes. So, Willie Horton in 79, Rusty Staub in 78. Can, can I tell you a quick Rusty Staub? You know, Rusty Staub, a New York Met when I was growing up, uh, played with Tom Seaver. And... Uh, I, by the way, I knew that was going to happen. Uh, all right. I just, so I, all dirt roads. Yeah, I right? destroy you and Stump JD. You can have Tom Seaver. So we were – this is – now I'm playing for the New York Mets. It's 1995. And Rusty Staub was one of our color analysts. And you know, we, we had a shared broadcast. Sometimes we were on Sports Channel New York. Sometimes we were on uh, WOR. And Rusty Staub had his own – show you know the rusty staub show that we would do from rusty staub's restaurant in in manhattan and you know he would invite after a day game he would invite a player or two over to the restaurant you know free dinner part of the 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 deal was you would get up on stage with rusty and film an episode of the rusty staub show as his guest so it's you know think something along the lines of Letterman with a couple of baseball players and then somebody from baseball's past, whether it was a former teammate, somebody associated with New York baseball. On this particular night, it was Terry Cashman who wrote the song Talking Baseball. And we were on a pretty good roll at the time in the bullpen, so he invited Doug Henry and I, who were the setup guys on the team, to come over and just effectively talk about the bullpen. And we had at the time, so the rest of the bullpen, as bullpens should always do, traveled with us. And they all sat at the front table, and Doug and I went up and talked on the stage. 
And we had a teammate at the time by the name of Donald Florence who was didn't pitch a terribly long major league career, you know, closer to months than, than years. But uh, Flo was from the great state of New Hampshire, as we were made aware by Flo. And, uh, and we got on, it just so happened that this was his, during his tenure with the Mets, and a really thick New Hampshire accent, and everything as I relate back to Tom Seaver after the, the, the Stump JD, everything for him connected to New Hampshire. And, and his, to, to give you a sense of, of Don Florence's voice, he, he spoke like Cliff Clavin from Cheers, you know, as he would sit at the bar, including starting every, the answer to every question with, and, and he would go into whatever he was going to say. So we went up on stage with Rusty, and we're on TV. We're on Sports Channel New York, and Terry Cashman has just been finished interviewing with, with Rusty Staub, and he's sitting off to the side now as if Ed McMahon with a cup of coffee on the Johnny Carson show. And Doug and I get up on the stage, and the first question he asks is of Doug, and, and Doug answers it in the, the calm and cool way that Doug would. Uh, and then he asked me a question, and I transformed into some amalgamation of Cliff Clavin meets Donald Florence, and I started talking like, like, like Don Florence, and I started answering every question that Rusty answered thereafter was, RM, uh, and talking like Florence. Terry Cashman is looking at us like we're from a different planet. Rusty is looking at the camera people like, can we cut this now? And this went on for like 20 minutes. The, the bullpen guys are, are sitting at the front table laughing hysterically. And to this day, it's something that we – and every time I saw Rusty, you know, who has since passed on, but every time I saw Rusty, he would bring up like, I still don't get what the hell were you guys doing with that? I said, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> And that paved the path for the Wheelhouse podcast. Right? <laughs> now it all makes steps. sense. Yes. yes. All we just together. need our Merv Griffin show set, and we'll really be rocking yeah, it. Yeah, the Kramer. <laughs> We're not far off. Let's get to some listener questions, Jerry. Remember, you can always email the show your questions, thewheelhouse at mariners.com. David in Texas is interested about the minor leagues, Jerry. In particular, what goes into the decision-making process when assigning minor league players to minor league affiliates? In other words, what level they'll be starting the season at? And also, side note, he's pretty excited about how much of a fun team the West Virginia Power will be this year. I am too, <laughs> on a variety of levels. But, you know, mostly what goes into to the decision happens before the year starts. We want there to be a reasonable progression. We have an expected age, you know, what we think is an appropriate age for a level, for a prospect. So if we think an everyday prospect player or an every fifth-day pitcher – we, we have, a, let's say, a standard that we use baseball history to teach us. If a guy is going to play in an everyday role and be a successful everyday player or one of your first four start, the, the starting pitchers who take their turn every fifth day, uh, is what, how old are they at each level? It's starting at the, the Sally League, which for us is West Virginia. So for us, we, we use that as a guide uh, and, and what we think the average age of a prospect should be at that level. If we feel like the player has outplayed that level or has, I, I guess, exceeded what we would call our criteria for advancement, then we just move them along. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to move a player along so quickly that we're, we're challenging him socially. And it's a, you know, as we're moving these players through, and it's so easy to lose sight of in the blogosphere or if we dig in on fan graphs and we're looking at the information, 
part of the challenge in, in moving a player through the PD ranks or even promoting them to the major leagues is, is how prepared are they to enter the social circle they're entering? Uh, how prepared are they to take care of the things that you need to take care of in life? Simple things, balancing a checkbook, opening a bank account, paying your rent. That, that we need to make sure they understand life skills before we promote them baseball-wise. Uh, hope that's the, the, that's the easiest answer to the question because mostly that's how we determine it. And, then, and once they've developed those life skills, now it's just based on their performance. Once they control the strike zone, if they're dominating their opponents, you move them quickly. If they're performing well, you leave them there to feel like they're a guy. You know, like the, the buck is showing his antlers, let them be that guy. You don't want it to get to the point where it's absurd. You know, I don't want to have I don't want to have a, a, a twelve hundred OPS guy playing in the Sally League all year. But that group that we have in West Virginia this year includes guys like Logan Gilbert and obviously Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelenic, among others. We think eventually we're hoping some guys that that matriculate that way. Caesar is tourist. We're very excited about starting the season there as an eighteen year old. Uh, Julio, eighteen years old. Jared Kellenick, 19 years old, and Logan Gilbert will be making his professional debut. So uh, really excited about that group and where they are. And we could not have come out of spring training really more pumped up about where that particular pocket of players has a chance to go in the short term. And I, I will say this, that is impressive as the others were. It is, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a young player have the kind of spring that Kellenic had on the backfields. And even after we left, uh, just absurd. He hit 10 home runs in the spring, which is, I, I've never heard anything like that. It's, uh, we were talking about it. Yeah, we were talking about it last night. Like, usually a good spring is, eh, he hit a couple of homers this spring. It hit 10 home runs. He hit home runs like five days in a row and <laughs> seven in a week. It was insane. How were they, if you mind me asking, how were just the overall spring? I mean, was that a compromise of swing and miss? Oh, no, no. no it was quite the opposite of that. And I, I will say that the, 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 uh, there were so many others. We've got pitchers on the backfield that you may never have heard of that are throwing 97 and 98 miles an hour that, that went through what we called our gas camp, uh, which we can talk about another day. Uh, in, in the efforts to try to, to find velocity where, you know, guys that were otherwise average velocity guys are operating between 89 and 91, which we would consider to be about the norm, are now throwing up to 96 or 97 miles an hour. And uh, in the case of, of one of our pitchers, up to 98 miles an hour. It's, a, it's, it's pretty awesome to see what Andy, our group in player development, have been able to accomplish and what our PD group and HP groups, when put together, have been really capable of. It's, they are doing phenomenal things, and, and we're very excited about it. Our last question comes from Aaron, who phrases this question so well he – I mean, he must work in law. I mean, this is this is too well phrased. Uh, how sustained and how hot and how backed up by the Pythagorean record would a hot start have to be before it would change the Mariners' anticipated timeline for contention and alter anticipated front office behavior at the trade deadline? I, I will say that it won't change our behavior uh, because our behavior, we want to be better. We want to make the team better every day and, and find ways including small things. You know, we didn't talk about another. It's, it has been referenced, I think, oftentimes as me tinkering on the edges. But adding a guy like Tom Murphy was really fun for us, it, a guy we've always liked and we feel like has a chance to really do something unique to help support our major league team. We're, we're Connor Sedzik. We're trying to find ways to get better in the short term. 
and we believed dating back to the, the, the off season. I think you guys, we've talked about it on these airwaves before. We thought we were better than people were giving us credit for, and and we do think that we're we were an interesting team coming into the year, and and frankly. We thought that there was some chance that interesting could manifest itself into surprising, and and it's certainly been that way for the first week. I we will give this chance every, I guess this team every chance to be good. The one thing that we've determined that we are about, and that the step back so we could see more of the tree line, so to speak, is what what we want to do is we want to give this roster an opportunity to grow for the long term and and by the long term i mean over the next three and four years and and what we can't do is we can't rob our system of the upside type players that have a chance to impact that even if it comes for some short-term gain and but we do think that there are ways in this game today the way the game works to get better without giving up the effectively future stars I am with with one very unusual uh, circumstance, and that being the the, the rise of Chris Taylor. I, we've never knowingly traded uh, what we thought was was one of our best prospects in order to achieve a short term gain. If we're trading prospects of of high notoriety, we're trading them with the idea that that this is a long lasting impact for the Mariners, and that will continue to be the case. Well, the Mariners' homestand wraps up today, but the Mariners are back home for their second homestand Friday, April 12th. Uh, Friday will be college night and Mariners hoodie night. Saturday, salute to Armed Forces night. Special cap provided for that night. A Sunday, Bark of the Parks ticket special. Uh, one of four Mariners value games as well. So the Mariners will be coming home after a Midwest road swing. Uh, Jerry, uh, this has been a blast as always. What a start for your ball club, and thanks for carving out some time for us. Yeah, always glad to do it.